You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. I'm Chef John, and I'm the guy I assumed you tuned in to listen to. Welcome back. The thing I've really been thinking about lately is just how hard it is to communicate. Uh, the, the fact that we have miscommunications consistently throughout our day, uh, the fact that we have to communicate through all of this uh, technology has uh, got me thinking about miscommunications. Well, you know, I, I mean, maybe I'm not even communicating that well enough. You're making your point very, very well. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm trying. I'm just trying. You know, sometimes it, between talking to the screen all day and looking at my dog and knowing that he's not going to talk back, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of losing those skills every day. They're eroding. Well, funny enough, that reminds me of a funny story. Coincidentally... I mean, what are the odds? It actually has to do with miscommunication. You know, you would never know it because the spontaneity is just off the charts. There's no rehearsal. We don't do a rehearsal. No, we do not. Our rehearsal is the last 10 years of our lives. That's right. That's the rehearsal. The one great thing about working in the restaurant business is on a regular basis, you will run into all kinds of former coworkers, bosses, uh, people worked on you, et cetera. And it's always cool kind of catching up. The only problem is... Um, for someone like me who has a condition, and I don't know if you've heard of this, have you heard of face blindness? Yes, absolutely. I've heard of face. Do you have that? For you folks out in the audience, uh, first of all, we want to hear if you've had face blindness or have face blindness. But to imagine what it's like if you turn a famous person's picture upside down and show it to someone who doesn't know who it is, it will take them a while to get who that is. It really just disorient, even if it's all the same features, just you know, 180. Um, so that's kind of like what it is when I see someone on the street that I know from a, like a former job, for example, you know, I know, I know them, but I don't know who they are, or at least I'm pretty sure I know them. Isn't that just dementia? No. Well, that could be what they'll call it in 12 years, but for now we're going to go with face blindness. But anyway, so I'm always have this anxiety about running into people I used to work with, you know, for the fact they don't, you know, they might think I just didn't. They weren't important enough to register. You're a big shot now. Yeah. Chef John's big time in me. You run into him on Valencia Street. He doesn't know. Anyway, so I'm always already kind of uh, weird when I run into somebody who I've worked with because I want to make sure, like, is this who I think it is or do am I even going to remember? Anyway, and it's usually they recognize me first and then I'm standing there going, okay, who the... Right. Remind me who you are. So anyway, I was on Valencia Street one day, uh, most likely getting a burrito. You've had a few... Yes. I'm assuming steak burritos. Quite a few. Uh, home of the Mission Burrito. Uh, anyway, I run into someone who clearly recognizes me, and uh, I don't really know who they are. If they're staring at your hands, do you think they just know you from YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> That's No one's ever recognized me from my hands, actually. Voice, yes. Hands would be the first one. That would be good. I think I confuse people because sometimes I shave the knuckles, sometimes I don't. So I kind of mix it up. Uh, you don't want to be typecast. Um, anyway, so she, she mentioned, we used to work at Ryan's cafe. Finally, I remember who this is. Okay. So I'm past the first hurdle. At least I know the restaurant, you know, we worked at and it's sort of slowly coming back to me. Anyway, she, um, where are you working? Where are you working? I tell her what I'm doing. Uh, what are you doing? She says, Oh, I actually work at a new topless bar down the street. So I'm, you know, kind of pause for a second. That's not something you hear every day. Like, I work in a topless bar down the street and um, and she starts telling me it's a really good place and very cool building and employees great. And, and I, I'm just, none of this is making any sense. First of all, she's 
Um, not what you'd say the classic, you know, topless bar employee physique. Um, so that struck and her personality from what I remember didn't seem to match the career choice. And so then I'm thinking maybe, she, you know, maybe she did, you know, does the books. I don't know. Then she mentioned she's, she actually works the floor and I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is really, this is happening. Uh, anyway. So then she mentions the chef, which is a super odd thing to mention when you're talking about, you know, your new gig at the, at this, at the strip club down the street. And, you know, he does this great, um, what'd she say? Like tor- uh, tortilla de espanol. And so anyway, it finally dawns on me that she's not saying she works at the new topless bar down the street. She works at the new tapas bar down the street, uh, which was kind of a brand new thing way back then. So you're not just face blind, you're also deaf. Yeah. So, so and it was, you know, it's a loud street. Again, you've been there, Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, very busy and bustling with people getting burritos loudly. So anyway, uh, that was a, a hilarious misunderstanding because for a good three, four, five minutes, I was pretty sure I was talking to someone who'd be one of the last people I would ever imagine former, you know, coworkers uh, getting a job in a topless bar, uh, and then it all made sense. Did her name ever come to you during this interaction? Yeah, it did. Then it doesn't now. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, I guess for podcast purposes, I should have came up with someone that sounded like they might have possibly worked at a tapas and or topless bar. How about a topless tapas bar? There's got to be somebody who's done that one, right? Well, that was one of my, you know, failed uh, special event catering ideas, an actual topless tapas um, burlesque uh, troupe, hire a burlesque troupe to serve tapas. By the way, anyone steals that idea in the audience, um, I will have to talk to legal. Yeah, we're coming for you. Yeah, I think the uh, the the sushi bars that serve uh, you know Nigiri on top of nakedness, uh, they probably have already cornered that market. So I'm not quite sure that there's. I mean, but then again, you know, we mo- we move from you know food genre to food genre. You know, maybe Spanish tapas topless works. Although they tend to go with like the, um, I think like models. You know, burlesque troupe. You're going to have a lot more surface area. I pause there so the audience could laugh and or, you know, click off the show. So, John, have you ever had a situation where you wanted to eat something but found that it was elusive? Like, whether it's like something at a restaurant or something you wanted to buy at a store. drive through cassoulet. That would be interesting. I cannot find that anywhere. You'd have to travel with your oven mitts. Yes. Because you have to take it out and not burn the skin off your hands. We'll do a whole show just on this, but why aren't there awesome drive-through choices? Like the concept's amazing. You guys nailed it to do, you know, mediocre burgers and fries. You know, well done. Now let's take that platform, that delivery system, and why can't a brother get a nice cassoulet or a nice paella, right? Or a nice, you know, Spanish tapas. Exactly. But then you'd have to drive around in your car. And then in your glove compartment, you're going to have things like oven mittens, trivets, um, you know, kitchen tools, serving utensils. Wait a have, you, have you not gotten takeout, Kessler? They put in cardboard. You uh, give you a plastic spoon. Like all the, st- all the frills are the same or lack thereof. But why, why do I have to have a, a cheeseburger when I could have a, I don't know, What's a gourmet restaurant food that you could do out of a drive-thru and it would still work? Duck confit. Exactly. Can't give me some duck confit on some arugula and a little tub 
takeout. And I'm good to go. And I'll pay, you know, the, anyway. Again, if we, if anybody out there like takes that idea, um, you're going to have to talk to legal. So. Legal. Yes. That we definitely have. We're not bluffing in any way. There's, what did we call it? Legal? Legal. Department or legal firm? Okay. Either way. And they have multiple names. There's three or four names. So watch your back, people. What are we talking about again? I have no idea. Oh, miscommunications. <laughs> um my every one of my miscommunication stories in my entire career always uh, has a common denominator. They were it was always ca- caused by like loud noise, like loud noisy locations generally. Sure, like talking to someone on a street. Yep, hear, hearing tablets instead of tapas. Um, when I was at the Carnelian Room, I was the expediter, and the right next to me was the dessert station, so I could hear. And they ordered directly to you know. Uh, in a big giant restaurant, all the orders go through the expediter for the hotline. And then usually the dessert guys kind of, uh, or gals out on their own and the orders come straight to them. Anyway, I overhear a waiter from the bar that's working the bar section, uh, come in and ask the pastry chef if he could pipe some whipped cream into an ashtray. And I was like, <laughs> so, you know, excuse me, I got to step over here for a second. And I said, um, you know, what, what, what table, what's going on here? And he said, well, chef, uh, I don't know, uh, German tourist asked for whipped cream in an ashtray. He's like, did he give you a reason? And he said, no, he just said, could I, uh, could I get uh, whipped cream in an ashtray? I was like, could you go double check his order? Because this is like, you know, not that I won't do it. I just, more out of curiosity, just go double check. So he goes out, comes back. It's what he wants. I'm like, all right, let's do this. So, you know, patient guy, who's still, he's like me. He's like, well, what do we do? Why are we doing this again? So I figured, you know, someone's got a bet at the table. It's some weird story like that. Anyway, pipes a nice big swirl of cream. Out it goes into the dining room. And then, you know, the hustle bustle of the service, kind of forgot about it. Anyway, we see Louis, the waiter, uh, in the, you know, shift family after dinner snack, drink, beer time. Oh, hey, by the way, what 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 did the guy do with the whipped cream? And he's like, ah, oh, I didn't hear him correctly. He actually ordered an Irish coffee with whipped cream and an ashtray. He wanted a, an ashtray also. Now, Louis did not, you know, English was not first language. This tourist, certainly not. So uh, I, loud, noisy, you know, bar at the Carnoon Room. Um, so I could see how that happened. But it must have just been the perfect cadence of, I would like an Irish coffee uh, with whipped cream and an ashtray. But he said it whipped cream in an ashtray. And the guy was like, this is this is different. I'll go do it. I'm a people pleaser. Considering I grew up in a house full of smokers, um, I may never eat uh, whipped cream ever again. <laughs> so gross. And, uh, and then funny uh, uh, little extra bonus story. For that same table, same party, it was like a table of eight, I think he said afterwards. Um, the father also of this family also ordered for his young child a uh, Roy Rogers, which I believe is the male uh, version of a Shirley Temple. Am I yeah, correct? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yep. I used to order them myself. The Shirley Temple was like pink and that was kind of brown. It looked like an actual drink, mm-hmm. uh, real liquor. Anyway, the waiter heard Rob Roy. Not Roy Rogers. <laughs> and of course, he just sets the he drinks down on the table. 
And that's the one that's left over. And I don't know if the kid drank it or just smelled it and was like, mommy, I don't think this is right. <laughs> or they just, you know, in, in the movie, it'll be a full on spit take, but, but uh, yeah. So anyway, the, the, that waiter had a sort of an ongoing issue with miscommunications and hearing things correctly. Uh, but my favorite of his mix-ups were the, was whipped cream and ashtray and Rob Roy. That's, I, I mean, absolutely hysterical that it was actually done and sent out to the table. There is another form of miscommunication that I think is also ripe for good storytelling, and that is intentional miscommunication when you actually decide you're going to misdirect somebody. And I think that there are some classic sort of kitchen hazing stories that you've told me in the past that I think really fit the bill. So I would love for you to tell one of those. Well, I certainly will. This story is dedicated to my father, speaking of intentional miscommunications, <laughs> who one day, and I remember this like it was yesterday, we were on some, we used to go to, to visit his family in New York City once a year. And he was at, we were on a corner waiting for someone to come out of the house and someone pulled over to the curb and rolled the window down and asked my father, how do you get this so-and-so bridge or whatever? And he's like, you can't get there from here with a complete straight face. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they drove away. And I thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> I'd ever heard. Cause I'm like, what do you mean? You can't get, he's like, that's a joke. And I'm like, anyway, um, so intentional miscommunications uh, by far my favorite all time. One of those in a kitchen, there's a classic hazing that is often done to an intern um, you know, a new, a new employee, generally an intern because they're not getting paid. You, you have a few more liberties. Um, and what we would do is we would, you know, in a semi-panic voice, call to this new person, come here for a second. I need you to run down to receiving and grab a brand new left-handed saute pan. All right. Uh, ask so-and-so down in receiving. I need a left-hand saute pan. None of the ones, all the ones up here, right hand, and they'd be like, yes, yeah, chef. And they'd run down to receiving and everyone was in on the joke. So, you know, whoever in receiving would be like, oh, you know what? Uh, I just sent that up to banquet. Go ask Alan in banquet department. Uh, he's the last, he's the last one to use it. And uh, the dude would run up to Alan in banquet and Alan would tell him it was probably in the, in the dessert station. They're always stealing his left-handed saute pan. I think, I think Bill who works on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, is left-handed, he always leaves it over there. So they, and what is it, you know, what is it, it just people all along the way, it's kind of like a semi game of telephone. It kind of grows and people are having them look for, it. I think it has a couple, you know, it's a little longer than the other one. The handle's like a couple inches longer than the ones we have here. So the person you're putting all kind of fake info in the person's brain. And then, by the fourth person they asked, they wound their way around the stations. And one of the uh, cooks on the line, a, a Basque man, I remember Leon uh, was very intimidating, to say the least. Even if you had been there a long time, like the chef was scared of Leon. Like Leon was the broiler <laughs> chef, which in a restaurant, old school restaurant like that did, most of the hot stuff came out of the broiler station, all the chopsticks. And Leon could not be bothered by any kind of BS uh, and was not amused by anything, literally. And so at some point, Leon would end this, you know, ruse and he would call call the person. You say, listen, uh, were you a freaking idiot? There's no such thing as a left hand saute pan. It's a pan with a handle. How could it be? And he would just give him 15 seconds of you. You have to be the most stupid idiot I've ever dealt with in my life. And then send him along. And they would come back, walk into the original requester, which was me usually. And they'd be like, 
you know, chef what? And I'd be like, there's actually no such thing as left hand saute. <laughs> That's a little hazy we do here. We wanted to see how you, if you handled it with good cheer and, you know, and went, went forth earnestly. Uh, but anyway. So is, was Leon in on the joke or was he just annoyed by everything? No, he knew the joke. Oh, he knew the joke. Well, here's what's the best part. He was annoyed by the joke that we would even do this and waste <laughs> time. And he was annoyed that someone would be, even a first day in a kitchen person, would actually be so eager to please. And, you know, it, it, it's not really fair because you're going to go, why would the chef be telling you, you know, and if you're not, if you're brand new to a kitchen, that totally makes sense. There's left-handed everything else. Why not? Kind, you know, on a certain level. So he was annoyed by that. We still did this tired ass joke that only amused us and just was misery for other people and wasted time. But he was also like really pissed. Anyone over the age of like seven would believe that. So when you get like a, a 16 year old intern, uh, you know, it, they, they just had no mercy. But anyway, yes, that was the, that was the intentional miscommunication, things like uh, aerating flour with meat cleavers, um, you know, picking thyme leaves and then trying to size them. We need the medium leaves, small leaves, and big leaves because we use the big leaves. We use the big leaves for the dog confit. We use the small leaves for the vinaigrettes. And then you have the person like, is this a big or a small leaf chef? I'm like, that's a tough call. That's like right in the middle. Why don't you make a fourth pile for ones you can't decide? And of course, that amuses everybody watching because because at the end, you know what we would do with the thyme leaves. We would sweep them all into the same stock pot. And, right. And the person would be like, you got me again. I thought it was over with the left-handed saute pan. So this episode's affirmation, for me at least, is going to be, you are the Jesus of your cheeses as I've mentioned in a, more than a few videos uh, where I've used that rhyme. Amen. Amen. You're in charge of the products you put in these recipes. And while I always give leeway on, hey, I use cheddar. If you want to use Swiss for the Corot Monster, go, go for it. I do draw the line at grated Parmesan cheese. And the reason when you ask someone why they buy the fake Parmesan, 100% of the time they say cost. It's twice as much. Agreed. But then if you ever sat them down and made them do a taste test, half the amount of Parmigiano-Reggiano compared to the stuff out of a shaker, you literally need half the amount to get the same impact in your recipe or your salad or whatever you're putting it on. So if you do the math, I mean, I'm no, I'm no math expert, uh, but it's the same. You're spending the same amount of money on your cheese using twice as much of the half as expensive stuff uh, and it doesn't taste as good. So um, that would be my, you know, one hardcore, even though you are the Jesus of your cheeses and get to pick anything you want and it's totally cool. It's your dinner. Um, I would say whenever I use real Parmesan, I want, I want everyone to use real Parmesan. So uh, it's basically a reverse affirmation. I want you to do your thing, follow your heart. All right. Don't, don't let anyone tell you what to do, except when it comes to using fake Parmesan, then do what I say. But I guess the, the overall lesson here that we're talking about really is that the things that we think are shortcuts, whether they be in food or in life, are, are typically more expensive in the long run. So I think if we're going to think about ourselves and use food as our kind of platform to discuss life, taking those shortcuts, they don't really pay off. So let's try to apply that to the rest of it. Agreed. 